Jesus' name. Amen. As the dedications have happened, of course, it naturally takes me back uh, to when I had my two children dedicated many, many years ago. And as a pastor, who dedicates your kids? Well, you've got to get someone in. And my son, uh, Clem, he was dedicated by Peter Weir, who's passed on, gone to be with Jesus. But he was the elder of the church at the time. He did a great job. Our daughter, Ruby, was dedicated in our church. And that was an incredible day uh, for Melinda and myself. Our friend, Karen Mehick, sang A Little Ray of Sunshine uh, on that day. And it was a great day for us. Uh, I had a friend come in and dedicated Ruby. But they don't stay young. And they move on. In fact, there's a lot of uh, grief in our hearts. <laughs> I'm going to stop being emotional. But there's a lot of grief in our hearts, you know, particularly on a Saturday morning when we wake up and our daughter is not there. Because our daughter, if you don't know, has moved to Melbourne, which is so wonderful. I mean, she is living her dream and her life. She's never been happier in terms of what she's doing. She's exactly where she needs to be. Our daughter, Ruby, I'm going to boast, she got an incredibly high ATAR score and she could have done anything and yet she chose to go to Melbourne. Uh, <laughs> so you, as a parent, you have equal parts grief and joy all your life. So would we want her to come home? No. No, we don't want her to come home because she's where she needs to be. We are filled with joy that she has found the next season of her life. Uh, we're also filled with grief because we want her home. As a parent, your life is grief, joy, grief, joy, grief, joy. You want them to grow up, but you don't want them to grow up. I was talking to someone the other day, and they've got a, a, a new baby, uh, New baby. Anyway, whatever. They've got a baby. And they're unlike, you know the best moment when you have a kid is when they turn about two and a half, I reckon, maybe three. They get out of bed by themselves. They dress. They go to the toilet by themselves. They dress themselves. They grab a piece of Vegemite toast that they've made themselves and they jump in the car seat by themselves. And that is a, that is a joy. As a parent of a baby, that is a joyous day when you realise what has just happened. My child is feeding, dressing and pooing themselves. It's awesome. <laughs> There's also grief. Because you're like, you see someone with a baby and the smell of a newborn baby and you're like, oh man, I miss that. Grief, joy, grief, joy, grief, joy. The seasons of life. The seasons of life that we all go through. As a family, we had the Edwards family plate and I've still got it. And uh, Ruby and Clem drew favourite pictures on there and we had it laminated. And whenever the kids celebrated something really good, they got a good mark or they kicked a goal in soccer, they got to eat off the Edwards family plate. These are the traditions and the cultures and the values that we've set in our home, that we will eat together, uh, that we will celebrate together, that we will do life together. Grief, joy, grief, joy. In your life, whether you're a parent or, or not, whatever your point of life is, whether you've been blessed with that or it hasn't been your path, the most important thing for you is that you are seen and that you are known and, and that you understand in the very depth of your being that you are seen and that you are known. most important thing for you in your relationship with God is that you know that you are seen and that you are known by him. 
that he is observing the different seasons of your life and what is happening in your life because you have different seasons of your life and you are going through, you are marching through. Time is taking you through those seasons at what seems like an incredible rate at times. It feels to me like it was yesterday that we dedicated our children. But it wasn't. It was 18 years ago. Life, and I, you know, I look at people having kids and I think about what it's like and I can feel that, I can sense, I can smell that. I know what that was like. But that season has gone. The most important thing for you in your life is that you see and know God, that you are seen by him, that you know him, that you have a relationship with him that he observes your life, that he is part of your life through all the different seasons of your life. And there will be seasons. There will be so many things that happen to you, pain and suffering and joy and success. Small things, big things, large things. The most important thing that you will have in your life is to be known and seen by God. It is the key relationship, the key thing in your life. Nothing is more important than that. We're looking and we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke. And there's three stories, which I'm going to read for you in a moment. And these three stories are all connected. I wondered why Luke put these three stories together. Other Gospel writers put them in different order and different places. But he puts these three stories together. And there's a little bit of scripture here this morning. But there are some common themes that I want us to see and I want you to see. There's something that's going to be here for you. If you have listening ears today, God has got something that he wants to say to you. And there is a common theme throughout these three stories. And I want you to see if you can pick up what it is. Luke 18. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, Learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? That's the first story. I want you to think about the woman. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, Lord, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat, I don't lie, and I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home, justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humble, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Think about the tax collector. 
One day, some parents brought their little children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But when the disciples saw this, they scolded the parents for bothering him. Then Jesus called for the children and said to the disciples, Let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Think about the children. So here you have a woman who is a widow. And Jesus just paints this story around her. To be a widow meant that you were not seen. In fact, you had no status. When you, were, when you were a child and brought up in a home, your father gave you status. He was the one who, who said you actually even existed. Then once you got married and married to your husband, it was your husband that gave you status. He gave you standing in the community, in society. In fact, so such was it that if you were a widow, there were disputes over whether you could even hold land, whether you could even have possessions. You certainly didn't have status. You were unseen. You were unseen. The idea that a woman would go before a judge, and I find it interesting in this story that Jesus almost compares or almost puts in the same place God and the unjust judge. It's like God is not an unjust judge. How could he be an unjust judge? How could Jesus do that and have that parallel, that story? Because that's not what God is like. And I wonder if it is, because for some of us and for the people reading this scripture, and I wonder even for you, it feels like you're praying and you're praying, you're trying to connect to God, and you're like, he is unjust. He is not listening to my prayers. He is not hearing me when I cry out to him. And you feel like you're unseen. And you feel like you're unknown. I wonder if Jesus is saying that in fact this experience is sometimes an experience that all of us have had at some point where, well, God, is this what you're like? What are you actually like? And Jesus wants to make the contrast. He wants to make this analogy that, whoa, sometimes that is how we feel, but he is not like that. It's not what he is. (laughs) And you know what? It's Dedication Sunday. We're talking about children. And Jesus says you need to persist. You need to be. Persistence is something you need to have in your relationship with God. Persistence. Isn't it interesting? Why? Not everything about God makes a sort of rational, logical sense to me. I don't actually understand it all. But I do see in here like a relationship where God actually does want to hear from you. There's things that are troubling you, things that are in your mind, and a way that you need to connect with God. Persistence is something you need. You know, you're growing up with kids in the home, and it's like, Dad, give me the iPad. Dad, give me the iPad. Dad, give me the iPad. I think we've actually got a visual representation of that. Thank you. No. 
no, not Splash Morph. If I take you, will you two shut up and quit bugging me? Yeah, of course. Well, we you take not Splash Morph? Yes. Thanks, Dad. If you're a parent and you've had a, you've had a young child, you relate to that video and you understand persistence. Persistence. What does that look like for you? Faith. That you won't give up. What is God trying to build in your character that he's calling you to be persistent? What is that thing that maybe you've forgotten to pray for? Is there a family member, a son, a daughter that you want to see come to know Jesus? Is there something in your life which you haven't received yet you want to just keep praying for that? Persistence. Persistence. Eventually the judge heard her prayer. <laughs> and if God is not Homer Simpson, God will hear your prayers. Persistence. The second thing we see in the second story is humbleness as the tax collector comes and prays to God. What I see in this story is the body language. So the Pharisee, the Bible tells us, places himself as close as he can to the inner sanctuary. This is where the presence of God was meant to be. So he goes and puts himself in the temple in the best possible place, as close to God as what he could be, because he, he can. He raises his hands. He prays aloud. He's proud of his faith, and he's proud of how good he is. And you know what? When I look at his characteristics, he gave to the church. That's a good thing. He was in the temple. That's a good thing. These are all good things he does. Jesus is not saying any of these things are bad. What he is most saying, in order to connect to God, in order to know God's presence, humbleness is what it takes. We contrast this with the um, tax collector. He's prostrating himself. He's kneeling. He's far away from the Holy of Holies. He's far away from the sanctuary. He's beating his chest. He's like a dog coming back into the home with a tail between its legs. That's his body language. He is well aware of his own frailty and his own sin. He's well aware of his position. He's also unseen, isn't he? You can just... Feel the story as the Pharisee sneers over at that person over the hill. What are they even doing here? What are they doing in God's house? They have no right to be here. They don't do the right thing. He's unseen. He's unthought of. Let me tell you a funny story. I went to a Christian conference once. It was over east and I took at the time of staff member, no one here, uh, I took a staff member with me and we went to this conference. And on the publicity, on the leaflets, it had said, and I, man, I fell for this hook, line and sinker. It said, senior pastors may prefer to wear a suit if you come to the conference. So I didn't even have a suit. So I got a suit. I went across the conference. I put on my suit for the first day of the conference. And I'm thinking, oh, I look like an idiot. I, you may not have picked this up, but I hate wearing a suit. Right? It's not what I wear. But I put my suit on. And my, uh, the, the, my staff member that with me at the time, he wears jeans and you know, comfortable shoes, and we both rock up to this conference. What happened was, of course, that we both had forgotten our passes to get through the door. 
I rock up. Hello, pastor. I walk straight through the doors. My staff member, he rocks up the doors. Where's your pass? And they would not let him in. And I said, he's with me. No, no pass. He can't come in. He had to go back and get his pass before they could let him into the conference. How we look, how we appear, how we present ourselves as human beings to each other, it's not what God requires. You want to connect with God. You need to put aside yourself. You need to understand who you are. I've heard people say, I pray, I do this, I do that. But I'm looking for that sense of humbleness that they're actually open to change. They're actually open to see what's going on inside of them. Pride is the quickest way, the easiest way for God to run. God loves the humble. God is drawn to the humble. Humble yourself before God. Understand your place. The tax collector was seen. He was known. He walks away justified. The third and the final thing, and this will probably be obvious, is like a child. The, like a child. I find it interesting in this story that it's actually the parents that are told off. The parents that are told, don't bring your children. And why is that? Because like the woman and like the tax collector in that society, in that culture, children were unseen. They had no status. In fact, in the, in, the, in the Greek culture, until your father said you were a human being at age 12, 13, you weren't even a human being. In the Jewish society, it wasn't much different. You had no status. You were not seen. You were not known. You were a child. When we take away, as we talked about last week, that spark, that divine image of God, we don't see as Jesus sees. Jesus says, no, bring, let the little children come to me. How does a child come? A child comes with a certain sense of naivety. And here's the thing about a child. Here's the thing about a baby. <laughs> they, don't know, they don't know that what you're giving them is good. They just accept it. And I've thought about this often, even being a parent of children and being brought up in a pastoral home. For myself, I've wondered, what am I doing to my kids being brought up in a pastoral home? The only thing I console myself with sometimes is, well, I'm not a drug dealer, I'm not this, I'm not that, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm okay as a parent. But this is the thing about you. When you were being raised in your family as a child, when you were two, three, four, you thought your family was normal. You thought your family was average. You thought, well, this is, this is what happens in families. You didn't realise until you got to an older age that your family was different to other families. Your father, your mother, whatever you, whatever you had, well, not everyone's were like yours. And you go through this whole struggle around your own family, your own identity. You see, as a child, you accept what you were given as being good. You accept what you've been given as good. And so this is a challenge because all of us and many of us think deeply about God, we think deeply about our faith, and there can sometimes be a struggle. And there is a struggle over why he does things the way he does and why he doesn't answer our prayers in the way that we want him to answer them. 
why he doesn't come through for us, why we go through this pain. Why is this happening? And there are things and questions and stories that people come to me and I say, I don't know why. I don't know why. I know you prayed. It feels to me like this is a good thing. I don't know why God hasn't given you that and why God isn't giving you this. And I don't know why this has been allowed to happen in your life. So it's a hard word to say come as a child. Because I'm not saying come foolishly. I'm not saying put aside everything and just ignore it. But I am saying, like a child, come before God. Accept that he will give you good things. God is good. God is good. And he will give you good things. Throughout the seasons and everything that's happened in your life and everything that's going to happen, humble yourself before God. Be persistent. Don't give up. And come with that beautiful naivety that a child has. That God is good and he will give you good things. Maybe you've never come to know Jesus before. Maybe you've never actually accepted him in your life not yet but in a moment we're going to be sharing communion together Andrew's going to come and lead us in communion and I actually would like you to respond in that moment to come forward in that communion moment take the bread, take the wine and once again just connect with God humbleness I won't give up I come as a child the band are going to come in now and Tracy's going to lead us in just a moment of contemplation and a song, and then Andrew's going to come and he's going to lead us in communion.